Good morning, Shallow. It's, it's good to be here with you in this moment this morning. So, like Gary said, uh, when he asked me to preach this morning, it was a bit of a shock. I wasn't quite ready for that. Uh, and the reason being was, was because I've never preached on Sunday morning before. Uh, I don't think I've actually ever been on the stage in any kind of capacity before either. Uh, so you could say I'm a little nervous this morning. You know, this is something that's, that's new to me. But in reflecting on this, I realized that if I would have said no to Gary when he asked me to get up here and preach, I, I would miss being here in this moment with you this morning. I, I would miss this moment where God comes and, and, and meets with us and we commune together to meet with him and see him work in our hearts. Uh, you know, I also thought about I could, I could allow the nerves to get to me a little bit and, and I could just rush through this, through what I have to say and then the message that God's laid on my heart, but then again, I still wouldn't be here in this moment with you right now. Another thought I had is, well, you know, they can't really be expecting all that much. I mean, I don't, I don't have a lot of experience here. Uh, but if I, had, if I had allowed that thought to enter my mind and not given my best to this morning, then I would have missed the, the countless moments uh, leading up to now uh, that I spent in preparation and in, in reading Scripture, praying, and, and spending time with God living out these ideas in, in my life. And, and it's that idea of missing these precious moments with God that I actually kind of fear. You see, that's why I'm here this morning preaching is because I don't want to miss that moment. I, I want to be here with you in this moment. And so this fear of, of missing God in our lives is, is what drives what we're going to be talking about today. So now most of you are older than me. I'm, I'm pretty young for now. They, they tell me that as you get older, it just kind of seems to go, life seems to go by faster and faster with each passing year. And so so I've, I've started to see a little, a little glimpse of that. Um, but you, being older than me, you have a lot more of these moments in your life that you, you know what I'm talking about, missing the moment. You, you have quite a few memories to look back on in your life, the good and the bad ones. But, but it's those really good memories, those, those really precious memories. Those are the ones that we want to hold on to and remember. Uh, the ones that we often want to relive. So I actually experienced one of these moments in my life recently. For, for those of you who know me and you know my fiance Carrie, um, I actually proposed to her about a month ago. Um, and so we're both really excited about you know, where this journey we're going to take together as, as best friends and where it's, where it's headed. Uh, but, but in those moments leading up to proposing to her, I, I started taking a picture of each moment in my mind and, and really trying to let, let the emotion and the anticipation sink in at that moment. And I, so I remember very well as we, we stood there and we're both like a little nervous, you know, anticipating this happening. So we noticed like odd things like the dead leaves on top of the tarp over the pool and then just sitting there talking, waiting for, for it to happen. And so I remember as I proposed to her, the look in her eyes and I remember, uh, you know, the tears in her eyes and the smile on her face and, and the emotion of that moment, I, I took it in. I took in every bit of it that I could. And so it's these, these big moments in our lives that we capture our memory forever, that we, that we hold on to, that are precious to us, uh, that gives us something to look back on. And, and it's these memories and these moments that I liken to something like uh, my baptism, for example. I, I remember my baptism pretty well. I was pretty nervous about that, too, even though I only had one line then. I had to get up there and say yes, basically. But, but just being in front of of quite a few people made me nervous, and, and so I took that in, and I remember it because it was a big moment I was prepared for. Or it's like going on a mission trip. Many of you may have traveled to a different city or a different country. I know several of us have been to Haiti, 
and, and we've been over there and done mission work, and it seems that we take the, the flight over there, we, we fly over and land and get off on the tarmac, and it, it seems that, you know, like a demon flew over my head this way, and then, then an angel chased it down and tackled it over there, and then, you know, God was shooting lightning bolts down over here. It, spiritual warfare is just, just rampant when we go on these trips, and then, then we return back to the mundane life here in Tyler, Texas, and it seems like God isn't quite as active, or at least that's the, what I hear, and that's what I experience when I, when I come back. So it's the big moments, you know, when we, like the proposal or like going on a mission trip, those aren't the moments that I'm really concerned about because it's pretty easy to see God move in those moments because we're expecting to see him to move. But, but it's the little moments and it's the more day-to-day that, that I'm concerned about because those moments are harder to remember. And that, that's something like, I, I think about my dad, he's a big Rangers fan, so he, growing up he watched every game. I think this year was the first year he skipped a few. I heard it was a pretty bad year. If any of you are Ranger fans out there, I know it was rough. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, but, but he would often be sitting watching the Ranger game, and, and my sister is the one who will just surprise you. You know, you just, you never know what she's going to do sometimes. And, and so I remember her doing things kind of like running in and jumping into my dad's lap and telling him that she loves him and then running off, and, and she's gone in this, in this instant, you know. And so, so I'm thinking, how do you take in that moment. I mean, she's gone by the time you, you have a chance to pick up the, the shambles of the memory that's left while you were watching the game. And so it's these little moments that, that I worry about. And so uh, I wonder, you know, how many times in my life, in my own life, do I miss God working in my heart, moving in and around me? How many times have I just walked right by him and, and he was right there? And I didn't see him right, right here in my everyday life. So, it, again, like I said, this, it's this fear of missing the moment that, that drives our study today. So, I want to start in, in a weird place in the Bible. We're going to go to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to start in the, in the beginning in chapter 1. So, if, if you have your Bibles want to turn there, you can, but we'll have uh, the verses up on the screen as we go through as well. Um, so, this, this verse may strike you as an odd place to start, uh, but... But it, there's an important word here that we're going to look at within this phrase. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2 goes like this. It says, Meaningless, meaningless, said the teacher. Everything is meaningless. And so when you look at, at this, this verse here, there's actually a Hebrew word behind this phrase, this, this word meaningless, and it's havel. Uh, so what the, what the Hebrew actually here is, is havel, havelim. Havel. And so it means a little more than just meaningless, like, like most things when we, when we read the Bible and, and they, they, the imagery and the poetry gets lost in translation. So I want to take this word havel and I want to repaint it in a different light for you this morning to make it make a little more sense for us. So we might say it a little differently. and We might rephrase the verse and say, bubbles, bubbles, says the teacher, Utterly bubbles, everything is bubbles. Now you all think I'm crazy, because if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, you know it's a pretty negative book in the Bible, and it's, it's not really anything like bubbles, but actually it is. So when you look at the, the Hebrew word havel, havel means mere breath, or it can be associated with ideas of, of smoke or vapor. And so what the teacher in Ecclesiastes is trying to tell us, and, and by the way, havel appears or I think 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. So it's pretty important to this shorter book of the Bible. But, but what he's trying to tell us is that 
Life is like vapor in the sense that if you try to, try to grab onto it, you're, you're never going to catch it. You're never going to really make sense of it. It's like smoke in the sense that if, if we try to make some kind of sense of it or form it into some kind of shape, we can't do it. Or I thought about trying to have you hold your breath this morning, uh, but I won't do that. But, it, but it's like breath in the sense that, you know, if you hold on to it, you can't do that for very long. And so if you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, you know he goes through this series of thought experiments and these experiences in his life where he tries to search for meaning under the sun, and under the sun meaning here on the earth. And so he, he searches for, for pleasure and then tries to find and, and acquire the greatest amount of pleasure he can in enjoying his wine and with his friends on the weekend. And, and he hopes that if he can find happiness, that he'll find true meaning in life. And, and this should sit really well with my generation. The, the millennials in the 20s were we're all about happiness and good feelings and, and having a good time. That, that's kind of what drives who we are as a generation, if you want to put a label on it. But the teacher tries this, and, and he says, in the end, this doesn't bring any true meaning to my life. And, and he tries to, to go after riches and wealth. And he tries to build up this, this, uh, this security blanket around himself and this this system so that he, he can rest at night easily knowing that he's safe and that he's going to be physically well taken care of. Uh, but he does this and he finds that this even isn't fulfilling for him. This, this, this doesn't give him meaning here on the earth. He even tries things that we would think would be really good like wisdom and knowledge and, and he finds th- them in and of themselves don't give him true meaning in life. So, so the teacher concludes in the end that after chasing after all of these things, that, that meaning can't be found here in life in and of itself, and instead that life is like a breath. That life is something that we see in creation, that breath is something to be received from God, and that we do and we act upon what God gives us in each moment. So, so taking what we've looked at here in Ecclesiastes, I, I want to go to our next uh, scripture. Um, uh, we're, we're going to go to the story of Cain and Abel, and that, that's why we had it. It may have seemed a little odd that we read Cain and Abel earlier uh, in the story uh, in Genesis chapter four, but we're going to go and and look at this scripture here and see where where breath, this idea of havel, uh, materializes. So, if we look right at the beginning of the story, it, it tells us that Abel he kept the flocks, and Cain he worked the soil. So, so immediately, it's kind of interesting here, because if you look at the name Abel, it's actually a translation of the Hebrew word Havel. Abel is breath. It's Havel. And then it gets even more interesting when you look at the name Cain. Cain actually means to acquire. For Eve says that I have acquired a man. So it gets really interesting here, because we just looked at Ecclesiastes, where we watched the teacher go through life and try to acquire meaning out of life through all these various methods and, and, and things and searching for meaning under the sun and grasping at the wind. He's trying to acquire. But he comes to this conclusion that no, life is just a breath. It's something to be received. So as you go to the story of Cain and Abel, you see the same story played out. We, we see that these two brothers, they, they come to the altar to offer their offerings to God. And, and uh, Abel brings his offering of the, of the flock, of, of the, and then uh, Cain brings his offering of, of the fruit of the ground and plants from the field, from the toil of his labor. labor. 
And the Bible doesn't explicitly state why, but it tells us that God accepts Abel in his offering, but he does not accept Cain in his offering. And so when we've read this, we've always looked and said, well, we know Cain had some kind of heart problem. Uh, but, but I want to pause here, and I want to note something interesting just in these facts that we've observed so far. When we look at Abel, Breath, who's keeping the flocks, I find it interesting that when I go back and look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and, and what I know about the Bible so far, if I'm, I'm reading it in order, then I know that Abel is keeping the flocks as God commanded in creation, that he commanded in creation that, that man will rule over the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And, and so Abel is, is accepting what God has given him, its task from God under creation. When I look at Cain, though, and I think about him working and toiling in the soil, uh, I look back, and the first time that shows up is when God proclaims the curse on man and, and talks about what's going to happen to man because of sin, because of his fall. And so I find this very intriguing. Now, it would be normal to me if I read the Bible and just looked at it chronologically because they were sent out of the garden in chapter 3, and so man is sent out to work the soil. But then I read Genesis 4.17, which is, which is the end of the Cain and Abel story. And when I look at that verse, it's very interesting to me that Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord to the land of Nod, which is east of Eden. And so then I, I have to pause here, and I have to wonder about Cain, right? Because it, it seems odd that Cain is working the soil and tilling the ground in the presence of God while he is receiving the blessing of God. So, so something doesn't seem right about Cain when I look at this story. It, it seems to me that he's living in the blessing of God, but, but he's working by his own hands to acquire, and out of his own pride to bring some kind of offering to God. Where, whereas it seems that Abel has received the blessing of God and is giving out of what God gave to him. So we know how the story goes. We, we've talked about how Cain and Abel bring their offerings, and God is displeased with Cain and his offering. And so Cain becomes jealous and envious because he, is, he has worked to give this gift to God. And so out of his jealousy, he takes his brother Abel out into the field, and, and he kills him. And, and we often look at the story as, as the first murder and as, as this is what sin does to the world. And, and I think that's true. This, this is exactly what sin does to the world. So on the surface, this seems to be a story about two brothers and, and that result of sin and, and their jealousy, but I think the Bible is telling us much more here, and there's a deeper message behind it. So, so instead of just telling us the story of two brothers, it's this, it's this story about two paths that we can take in life, right? We, we can take the path of Cain and, and work to acquire. It's, it's a path of, of jealousy. It's a path of arrogance and pride, and, and us searching for our own meaning in life, where we can take the path of Cain, this, this, this idea of peace and acceptance and humility, where we receive the gift from God. So the story of Cain and Abel ends with Cain weaving the presence of the Lord uh, to go east of Eden into the land of Nod. And in case you're wondering, the, the land of Nod, that's also important here because Nod means wondering. And, and that's what we see the teacher doing. That's, that's how we feel in our own lives here in the world today is that we're grasping for more in life. We're, we're wondering, looking for meaning, and, and struggling to find it here on the earth. 
So in some sort of way, we're just here in Tyler, Texas, you know, just chasing after bubbles. So Jesus has a few things to say about these ideas as well. Uh, kind of like, do not store up for yourself treasures in heaven, or on earth. Sorry, please store them up in, in heaven. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Uh, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So th- this scripture seems you know, to relate so well back to the idea in Ecclesiastes that the teacher in Ecclesiastes was searching for, for some kind of meaning in life here on the earth and, and struggling to find it. And Jesus, Jesus tells us, you're not going to find it here. You, you find it there. You find it in heaven. You find it in God. But then he keeps going, and Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this, this right here is one of my, my favorite parts uh, of what Jesus is saying when I, when I relate it back to the Cain and Abel story, because one of the most interesting parts of the Cain and Abel story, and one of the saddest parts, is that one brother kills the other. When you look at that part of that story, I, I think the deeper meaning there, what it tells us is that one can't survive with the other. If one brother is working to acquire and, and, and make more of himself, if you and your heart are working to acquire and find meaning in your life here on the earth, it's not possible for you to sit and receive the gift of life from God as he intends it. One can't live with the other. And Jesus tells us this when he says, you, you can't serve both God and money. You've got to sit and let your heart find rest in one place. But Jesus keeps going again, and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, for, for is life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And this is one of those scriptures that scares me a little bit. I feel like Jesus is getting a little dramatic here, and, you know, don't, don't I need food, don't I need clothes? And Jesus is saying, yes, of, of course you need those things, but God is going to provide them for you. He's going to provide them for you in each moment as you go through your life. Uh, true faith, I believe, and what these scriptures tell us is that true faith tells us that God will provide, and true faith accepts whatever God gives us in each moment. And so Jesus tells us that, that we must accept what God gives us in this moment, or our faith will die, and then no one can serve two masters. Your heart will only find rest in one place. So there's one more place in the Bible I want to look. I know we've, we've been going all over, but there's one more place where this idea of vapor uh, comes up, or, or smoke, or havel, breath, and it's in James chapter 4, so if you want to turn within your Bibles there, you can. We'll read that as our last scripture this morning. James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money, Why, you do not know what will even happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, sins. So, one of the things I like about the book of James is that it's pretty easy to read and straightforward for, for the most part. You know, he talks about taming the tongue and submit yourself to God, and these sections are pretty easy to read. But then one of the difficult things for me, and you, you can leave that verse up there, um, 
verse, the last verse there, yeah. One of the most difficult things for me with reading it is he, he, it seems to get a little broken sometimes, right? And in this first section, he talks about boasting, and um, he talks about, he, missed, he mentions being a mist or a vapor, and, and he's tying in all these ideas, and then he ends it with anyone then who knows the good he ought to do it, he, he ought to do and does not do it, sins. It, it seems like you should draw a line there. There should be a, a new chapter going on or, or something here. It, it seems to me like the ideas don't connect. So a lot of times when I read this verse as a U.S. citizen here in the 21st century, I, I get the idea that it's a bit overwhelming. I don't know if you've ever felt this way too because the good I ought to do. Well, I, I live with a guy named Hunter. He's my roommate. There's probably things that I need to be paying attention to and I could do for him and and there's my fiance Carrie, and our families, and our extended family. There's my church here at Shiloh, but it gets even bigger, right? Especially with today's technology, I can go and I can Google a need somewhere in the world at any time, at any place. And so oftentimes, a verse like this can be a little scary and daunting. But I think that when we read it in that sense, we're reading it with this Cain mindset of acquisition and acquiring and trying to find some kind of meaning in our life. Because cause when we read it like that, it, it's, it's us taking responsibility. It's us taking responsibility for the world and all the evil in the world. And, and that's not a place where we sit. That's the place where God sits. It's, it's God's job to take care of this world and the evil. And so when we read it in this sense, I think knowing the good we ought to do then becomes something to be received from God in this moment. It's, it's not as overwhelming then. Right now, in this moment, I'm here preaching, and, and that's what God has given me in this moment to do. And, and it's a struggle that we all have of just living in this moment, but if I first recognize that my life is fleeting like a breath, and it's something to be received as a gift from God, then, then I just do what God gives me to do here and now. And so then I think this, this scripture in James isn't quite so overwhelming. I think Gary, I, I wanted to bring this up, that Gary has often talked about this same idea, uh, this idea that we feel this need to acquire, because he often mentions in his sermons that in some kind of way we, we believe this lie a lot of times, this lie from the garden that, that God is holding out on us in some way, that he's not going to provide what we need in each moment from day to day. And, and it can be really hard to, to sit in the moment and soak in what God has us to do right now. And, and I think that that's understandable, and, and, it, and it makes sense because, I mean, I've had friends who have turned their back on me. I've had, we've all had our parents in some way that were imperfect people, and they, they maybe withheld some love from us in some way, or maybe your, your parent abandoned you, and it leaves this deep-seated hurt for us. But this isn't who God is, and so the problem comes when we, when we project that, and in some way we believe that, that God isn't going to fully provide for our needs in each and every moment. So, you see, on December 30th, on a day like today, I think this is a good time to reflect on this because we're often looking back over the last year and, and what's happened and, and taken place, and we're often looking forward and planning ahead, and many of you probably have your New Year's resolutions picked out for the next year, and that's good, and maybe that's what we're supposed to do today, but I think a lot of times we can get caught up in, in, in planning ahead, and we get caught up in what's coming next and what we want to get done, and, and we forget to be right here in this moment. You see, because I've, I've been out there, and I know that some of you are guilty of this right now because you, you've been thinking about where you're going to lunch in a little bit. <laughs> or maybe you've even been talking to each other about it. 
I've done it a few times, you know, or we, or we have these experiences when, when we're parenting children, right? When we're, when we're dealing with kids, you have that moment where your kids are in a big fight, and, and what do you want to do? You just want to pacify the situation because you're, you're busy and you've got things going on, but sometimes those moments when our children are, are fighting with each other are, are some of the best moments, the best teaching moments to stop in that moment and recognize it for what it is and, and, and work with God and see Him in the way He's moving. These, these moments that God gives us, each moment we get, is precious. And, and I feel like we need to use every single one of them. And, and I feel like I'm guilty all the time of letting them pass, uh, just, in, just in the mundane and in the normal, everyday life. It's so easy to just let them breeze on by and, and to keep fighting for more when God is right there all along. So life is difficult and it, it happens fast. Uh, if, if we're constantly grasping to make sense of it on our own and planning ahead for more, uh, then, then I think we're going to miss what God has for us right now and what He's given us in this moment.